I'm Leanna Shields, and you're listening to The Cozy Sleuth. Today, Snoops and Sleuths, I have with me Darcy Wilde, here, about, here to talk about her books, writing, and all things cozy. Darcy, would you like to introduce yourself to my Snoops and Sleuths? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you very much uh, for having me on the podcast. This is a real treat. Um, my name is Darcy Wilde, and I am the author of the uh, Useful Woman uh, Mysteries. These are a set of uh, traditional mysteries set in the Regency era of London. Um, normally, I say if uh, Jane Austen and Arthur Conan Doyle wrote a book together, this would be that book. <laughs> Sounds great. So is any of your writing inspired by your actual life? My actual life, it's inspired by my actual life in that I have always loved traditional mysteries. Um, I really started in, um, I kind of leapfrogged over Nancy Drew and I really got dragged into mysteries um, by my grandmother who was a huge Agatha Christie fan. So I was reading Miss Marple and Hercule Poirot pretty early. And of course I got caught up in uh, Sherlock Holmes um, and uh, you know, the, the, British, the British traditional mystery is basically part of my upbringing. So that's really what inspired me um, to, to go down to this path with my sleuth Rosalind Thorne. Oh, that's great. And who doesn't love Sherlock Holmes? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. How do you not? Oh, and what's funny is right now I have the old 1950s, 60s Miss Marple movie, uh, oh, yeah? Murder, She Said, going on. <laughs> oh, oh, excellent. Excellent. Who's the Miss Marple in that? Uh, Margaret Rutherford is her Ooh. name. Um, okay. She and her husband both acted in that. Her husband played... Uh, Mr. Stringer, her, okay. her, the librarian friend. <laughs> I actually just recently rewatched the um, Geraldine Brooks, Miss Marples. Um, they were from like the late nineties, early two thousands. They did most of the short stories. It was a PBS series. They did most of the short stories um, and they did a really faithful job. Really gorgeous. I've actually caught the um, PBS Poirot series oh, a couple times. David oh, those are awesome. <laughs> David Suchet, he is the only Poirot. Yes. Up, I, I, are you familiar with Jeremy Brett's Sherlock Holmes? Um, mm, no, really my ex exposure to Sherlock Holmes either goes with Benedict Cumberpatch or Oh, the guy who was in Star Wars, uh, <laughs> brain zoning on him. Uh, uh, hmm. I forget his name at the moment. Well, if you want to see the, uh, the um, traditional canon stories done, set in the period and done, you know, with love and uh, faithfulness to the original, you need to look up the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. Um, they're available on BritBox and they're, they're beautiful. They're, they're beautifully filmed. They're really, you know, pinpoint accurate. 
Um, and if you're, you know, I all all uh, all praise to you know Cumberpatch, uh, <laughs> but uh, but I am a fan of the traditional, and so Jeremy Brett is uh, really is my guy. <laughs> yeah, I can see how and. Nice little shout out to BritBox. Didn't expect to <laughs> do a little. <laughs> oh, I love BritBox. I love oh, BritBox. I need to get a... all the best stuff. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a British media nerd since before it was cool. <laughs> and you know, they have all the classic Doctor Who's. They have the classic Blake Seven. You know, this is straying far from mystery territory. <laughs> but um, they have... You know, like every PBS version of Agatha Christie going, they have the entire run of the David Suchet Hercule Poirot. So, you know, really, definitely the place to be. Uh, I'm going to have to get me a subscription because I am also addicted to the shows like uh, Midsummer Murders, oh. Death mm -hmm. in Paradise. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and what did I just watch? The Oh, they had a... a a fun one for a while called The Invisibles, which had Anthony Head as the head of a crew of aging heist men. And uh, they're getting, oh yes, oh, it was so good, so good. And they were, they were, it was of course about them, you know, they, they'd retired and now they were back on the game. Um, and it was just so much fun. Oh man, like I said, I've got to get a subscription to that because oh, I was a few months ago, I came across this show, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Murder. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. And I loved the humor behind it, where it's like, mm -hmm. are you serious? What kind of humor? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I am, I am not a great fan of the grim and the gritty. I can, you know, I, I watched Broadchurch. Okay, I did that. I can live without Broadchurch. But give me a show with banter. <laughs> give me a show with humor as well as intelligence. And I am there. Oh, someone has got to make... My favorite classic movie is The, uh, the Thin Man. Oh, yes. We were just talking about them in my writer's group last night. Nick um, and Nora Charles, the kings yes. and queen, the king and queen of banter. <laughs> yes, yes. And a, are, they are, in my humble opinion, because I am a great fan of classic Hollywood and old movies. They are the best screen couple going. Absolutely. You very, very seldom see a Healthful, okay, healthy, maybe not, but happily married <laughs> couple, well suited to each other, you know, as, as you know, crazy as they both were, um, <laughs> but they have a working relationship. You can believe that these two are in love and in it for the long haul. Yeah, despite, that, despite the occasional banters of, what would you do if you ran out of money? I'd have to get a job. And what would you and, or what was yeah. I could always go back to being a police officer, but what would you and Nikki live on? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I mean, you know, that, that was a real concern. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, he's kind of joking about leaving her if she ran out of money, but 
you know he's actually in it for the long haul with her. He loves mm-hmm. her. He w- <laughs> the one of one of actually his best moments was uh, I think it was the third movie where somebody was actually really after them. And you know, this is a guy who has spent the majority of two and a half movies, you know, stoned to some degree or the other. <laughs> yes. But you know, it's it's really it's going down now. It's like no, no more. I can't drink. I've got to keep my head clear. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I really I appreciated that transition, and you know, I loved the you know the dedication. You know, obviously, not every single minute has aged well. It's well, yeah. You know, there are <laughs> issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any old movie is going to have its problems, but the relationship between the two of them. Was, is one of my favorites on screen. Yes. And actually throughout the, the actual book, it works almost as well, but. Yeah. Yeah, Chandler, I, I am not a fan of a great deal of Chandler, speaking of things that have not aged well. Um, <laughs> you know, but yeah. um, that one, obviously, you know, that, that, those two characters, you know, were absolutely inspired. Yeah. Oh. Is, do I mean Raymond Chandler or do I mean Dashiell Hammett? It's Dashiell Hammett. It's Dashiell Hammett. But Hammett oh, had so many issues in his, don't even get yeah. me started on the Maltese Falcon. Oof. Oh God. Oh. Oh. Yeah. 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 Literal <laughs> gay bashing. Yes. Let's go yeah. for that. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> yeah. No. It's one of the reasons why I actually like the movie a ton more than the book. Yes. The censors yeah. didn't allow half of what was in that book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I am, you know, the, the Maltese Falcon is a brilliantly made one. I'm, I confess I'm a bigger fan of The Big Sleep. Oh, um, absolutely. In, in, terms of, in terms of the movies. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can't, uh, you can't go wrong with, uh, Peter Laurie at Sydney Green Street <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> as your leading bad guys. Oh, absolutely. Though, I recently came across a great movie that has Green Street and more in it. It's called The Mask of Demetrius. Mm. And Moore is not technically a bad guy he's just kind of this author who's he writes murder mysteries and all of a sudden this guy at a party introduces him to the story of a man named Demetrius the mask of Demetrius I have not heard of this it was one of the early pairings of lore and green street uh-huh and one of my favorite lines in it is <laughs> He's talking to the cop who's just told the story of Demetrius, or at least the first part of it. And he goes like, I don't know whether I should like you or if I should hate you. I came here for a restful vacation and now I'm obsessed with this Demetrius. And me chasing after this story just does not sound very restful, does it to you? Lori as a comic actor is kind of underappreciated. Um, but if you see Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh, oh. Hilarious. Oh. Hilarious. I love it. I love the scene where 
the room is dark. He's in the window seat and he goes like, where am I? Oh, here I am. <laughs> and it's just kind yes. of this. It, he was a brilliant actor. And he was. yes, his acting tended on the whiny, snivelly sidekick side. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the mask of Demetrius, he does not play the whiny, snivelly sidekick. He is, he's clever. He's in, he's obsessed with figuring out what happened to this Demetrius. But he is not this, like in our snick and old lakes where he's like, Johnny, don't do this. Don't do this. <laughs> he's yeah. well, kind of this, he's a man who's been pulled out of his element, but he's stepped into the other yeah. element really well. <laughs> Where did you find this movie? Um, is it, it was is, on Turner Classic Movies once because okay. they were doing a tribute to Sydney Green Street. Ah, uh-huh, okay. Which, of course, included Christmas in Connecticut, completely out of season, but hey, if you want to okay. laugh, watch it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, mm-hmm. all the great movies where you need... The fat man. <laughs> yes. You need the evil fat guy in the white suit. Yes. Um, Except for so- Christmas in Connecticut. He's not evil in that. He's just very pushy. <laughs> <laughs> Mask of Demetrius. I will have to look this up. Oh, because it, absolutely. It's because not it is what a- I've ever heard of. I need, to, I need to find this. It is so great. It's one of my favorites. And I've watched it so many times. And yet I still find this oh, wait a minute, that was the clue there that something fishy is going on? That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Sold, sold. Uh, <laughs> of Dim- oh, there it is. The Mask of Demetrius. Okay. Watch. Ooh, <laughs> watch now. Yes. Okay. Great. Okay. Now I know what I'm doing this evening. Yay! You will love this movie. It is so great. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Okay, well, now that we've discussed every favorite classic movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Let's get back to what we actually came here for talking about books. (laughs) So, do you have any advice for those who want to write their own mysteries? Well, I think writing always starts, um, the, the first real professional writing advice I got was it is a matter of application, applying the seat of your pants to the seat of the chair. Uh, <laughs> so I always recommend that the first thing you do is write. Um, you know, uh, if you cannot write every day, write most days. And then the second thing to do obviously is to read. Um, read widely. Um, you know, obviously read mysteries, read mysteries you love, read mysteries you hate, so that you learn what, uh, what does not work for you. Um, and read the classics to find out what does not work in this day and age. <laughs> absolutely, but to know where it all comes from. I oh, mean, absolutely. you know, you, you should read Chandler and Hammett as problematic as they are, but you should know where this stuff comes from and where what is now cliche comes from. So you will avoid that. Um, But, you know, read history. Yes, read some true crime. 
Um, the God knows there's enough to choose from, but uh, <laughs> but you know, read read history, read romance, read mainstream literature. Um, you know, get out there and expand your 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 point of view as far as you can because that will help you not only you know create setting but to create character. Um, also, I highly recommend, you know, once you, you know, obviously write what you love, write what you know, but you don't know what you know until you write about it, uh, <laughs> which is catch 22 there. Um, and then, you know, I make use of a beta reader. I have a writer's group that I have been in for 30 years and, you know, we are, uh, we are proponents of tough love on each other. We, uh, so, uh, and that's made my books better. Having a group of people I trust tell me, okay, this is great. This is less great. This is how I think you can make the less great part more like the great part. Um, I need that. Not everybody needs that. I need that. Um, and I recommend at least giving it a go with people you trust. Um, but those are the, the first basic steps and those at least have not changed um, for as long as I have been writing, read and write, do both, do the most days. That'll get you there. Absolutely, 100%. In fact, when we were talking about the classics, I came across the book that inspired one of my, one of my all-time favorite movies, Laura. Oh, yes! Have you, I read that recently. The, oh. the movie back... The movies um, back out in, in theaters, at least our local art, art house is having noir nights and uh, showed the movie with Vincent Price, not in the role I would have pegged him in. I know. When I discovered Vincent Price was in that, I was like, really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but not, not as Laura's ex. That's, yeah. <laughs> that, that I didn't, I, he's the, Price is the hero. I did not see that coming. Yeah, but, and it's funny because I compared the way the opening of the book was to the way the opening of the movie was. Are you there? Uh-oh. Anyway, we were talking about Laura. Well, the opening of the book was so different from the opening of the movie. The movie opens with, yeah. I remember the weekend that Laura died. Yes. And the opening of the book was so different. And I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, I have to read this book now. <laughs> oh, it's beautifully written. It's oh. beautifully Um, Yeah, I read that one recently. I read uh, Dorothy Hughes' In a Lonely Place, which also has a movie starring Humphrey Bogart. Um, and what's really, really interesting is the contrast in the endings between the book and the movie. Because um, Hollywood did its thing. Yeah. On that. It's a good movie, but it is nowhere near as powerful as the book. The movie kind of wimps out a little bit. Much like the uh, movie um, Double Indemnity. Ah, yes. Yes. Where the ending, you just think that the main that the main character yeah, iffy on the, whether you call him the bad guy or not, mm -hmm. <laughs> dies, protagonist, protagonist yeah. dies. 
Well, as in the book, I think it follows him to, you know, through trial, gas chamber, you know, ultimate yeah. justice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're dragged down that path. Yeah. Yeah. And yet here we are back talking about the classic <laughs> mysteries. But <laughs> the mysteries, right? And, yeah. you know, you want to know where the influences come from. It is from all of this. Yes. Um, I, I, you know, movies are a wonderful um, playground for anyone who loves a traditional mystery. You know, the, 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 the screen classics with the, the style and the over-the-top writing. And <laughs> again, you know, with some of them like Arsenic and Old Lace or like um, uh, Nick and Nora, um, The Thin Man with that, that lovely shot of humor yes absolutely um, it's it's beautiful um and for someone who who loves mysteries you know classic movies are fantastic i i love them so much that i made my main character a fan to the point where she quotes old movies at the drop of a hat <laughs> <laughs> after my own heart person after my own heart <laughs> like in the first book, um, her, her and her friend are renovating her childhood home into an inn. And she asks mm. her friend, okay, how much is this gonna cost? And she goes, her friend says, I'm gonna put this in the, in the form of your favorite Christmas movie. It's somewhere between ouch and boing. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, I like it a lot, yes. Yeah, that's probably my one, one of my um, few hardships with with uh, Rosalind Thorne, of course, being as it is set. Um, the first one is set in 1817. It's a long way to go before we get to the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. But she Can is actually... a great fan of the three-volume novel. Oh, nice. Um, and her... Uh, <laughs> Her best friend Alice Littlefield is a is a writer. She writes for the gossip columns. She translates um, newspaper articles, and yes, yeah, she uh, uh, by the uh, um, fifth book has landed a novel deal. So oh, fun! <laughs> so yeah, that was actually one of the things as I was doing research for the series that I learned was how often. Um, women did end up writing to help support their families, themselves and their families, because it was a it was something a well-bred lady could do without leaving home. So she could publish anonymously, so she could be making money without necessarily being seen to compromise her reputation. But also, while women were at the time were not allowed to learn Greek and Latin, they were encouraged to learn modern languages. So one of the ways they ended up making a living was translation. Um, they would travel to the continent, they would pick up books or articles on art, on travel, on local customs, and they would translate them into English to be republished in England. And that was a way you could make a living if you needed the extra money. Oh, absolutely fascinating. I had no idea. Yeah, once you get into it, um, the uh, you know women women work, women have always worked. We know that, um, but the spaces where women are navigating between 
the social demands of gentility, air quotes, <laughs> and uh, the need to help support a family um, get really, really interesting and complex. And of course, there were, you know, also navigating the laws about the limitations on uh, what women were allowed to do with money, whether or not they were allowed to sign contracts, what kind of property they were allowed to own and manage. Um, and all of this is sort of the space in which my heroine Rosalind Thorne operates. Um, and her, she, she particularly assists women who are having difficulties. Uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, she started off by essentially being a social secretary, you know, helping arrange your guest list, helping arrange your dinner party, helping arrange your ball. And then uh, she happened upon a dead body in the famous Allmax ballroom. And we're off to the ring. <laughs> yep. Um, so now her, the things she helps with include murder and blackmail. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she is a gently bred woman um, whose father abandoned the family and left them without money. And so she has had to learn to navigate, um, keeping her social standing while um, making a living. And it turns out there were a lot of women doing the same. And the more you read about the time period, um, the more you discover about what women were actually doing as opposed to what we think they were doing. Yeah, absolutely. If you need an idea for something for your character, uh, listen to, okay, I'm gonna give a shout out to another podcast out there, one of my favorites. It's called, Ridiculous History. Okay. And there are two episodes, one in particular that I can think of. It's called When the Victorians Collected Seaweed Like Pokemon Cards. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And it was all about how women, while they couldn't do the scientific studies, they were allowed to go and collect seaweed because it could be considered part of the decorative arts that noise you all heard in the background was my eyes rolling <laughs> i know i know i listened to the episode my eyes rolled too but like i said if it's something for your character maybe she has a friend who's doing this seaweed collecting and found a body <laughs> or something just <laughs> fun fact fun fact so um we have all of us who are who are fans of of you know, trivial British history have heard of the Royal Society. That was kind of the big collection of scientists of all sorts or natural philosophers as they would have been called. Yeah. There was a, a, not exactly a rival institution but a contemporaneous institution called the Royal Institute. <laughs> and the Royal Institute, yeah, seriously. Um, it, uh, it was, it featured lectures um, and uh, papers and, and hosted papers and talks um, by people, including a guy whose name I'm forgetting, who basically invented the battery. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so this, this was not a social institution, but it was very, very popular. Uh, a lot of its popularity, a lot of its prestige came from its female audiences mm. because in order to try and drum up interest in what they were doing and to sell tickets to the lectures, 
they got in with some the basically they started running a system like the ballroom all max did and they had a board of women who would get their friends to subscribe to the tickets and they made it a fashionable thing to start going to the lectures oh, there wow. are even, yes so well there was even advertisements in the papers from a uh, dressmaker whose shop was near the Royal Institution who would advertise specifically clothes suitable to go to the lectures. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and there were women, um, there were there 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 were there were women scientists. There was one lady, I'm blanking on her name, she had her own. Um, her interest was um, minerals and the properties of, of uh, geologic um, studies. She had her own laboratory built in her home. There was, I'm thinking her name was Mary Somerville, who uh, helped uh, discover there when you, uh, some of the properties of light um, and was an astronomer. Wow. And so, and all of these women were denied participation in the Royal Society, but they did participate at the Royal Institute. They couldn't oh, give lectures, they could use the library, they could attend the lectures, they could associate with each other. So, you know, this was, a, this is what you learn. Yeah. <laughs> when you start digging. So, you know, as, as the, um, as a time period, it was a, you know, we think of the Regency as Jane Austen. We think of it as very settled. We think of it as very polite. We think of it as very constrained, but it was actually a time of invention, a time of change. Um, it was a time when the British Empire was really starting to become that empire. Um, and the roles allotted to, if, if society was not granting women greater privilege, women were figuring out how to take and oh. make greater privilege for themselves. Wow. Um, as it's, it's been a fascinating ride to learn about. It sounds like. So, okay, we got to veer back to the. <laughs> not that we've far that, not that we've gone that far. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a history buff. That's <laughs> yeah. why I write these. I am, um, they allow me to, to dig in and nerd out about history. <laughs> Oh, that's like me and my series. Uh, it allows me to dig in and nerd out about mythology because oh, oh, yeah. all my characters are mythological creatures. <laughs> and it was so much fun to discover that there were two Native American societies that had a version of an elf in their folklore. There was the Sioux who had the Kenotile, Sorry, anyone who actually knows how to pronounce that, <laughs> don't come after me. My language is bad sometimes. <laughs> and then there was the Choctaw, which is a tribe that I happen to actually belong to. And they had the, they had two different ones. One is called the Bopole, which translates to the rock thrower. Or they had the Kawianakasha, which was a teacher figure. One writer I told this about compared them to almost dwarves and elves. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so like I said, my yeah. series allows me to nerd out on that kind of stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And then you spend a, spend a certain amount of time either boring your friends or uh, talking to strangers <laughs> with great enthusiasm about everything you've learned. Yes. <laughs> either that or scaring my friends when it comes to what research I've done on how to kill someone for a mystery book. <laughs> yes. Yes, I um, I work at a co-working space. That's where I do my writing. And I occasionally tell people, I, people ask what you do. I say, you know, I write mysteries. So if I'm staring off into the distance, I am in fact plotting to kill somebody. Probably not you. <laughs> I, was, I told my friend once about the research I'd done on certain poisons. And oh. she looks at me and goes like, how do you sleep at night knowing what you know? <laughs> And it's like normal, normal people uh, um, uh, frequently have questions like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they just don't get it. <laughs> oh, what was one of my favorite show openings? It was Castle. It was like, there are two types of people who sit around and think about how to kill someone. Psychopaths and mystery writers. Uh -huh. I happen to be the one that pays more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the uh, the the um, motto of the Mystery Writers of America, which is one of my favorites. Is crime doesn't pay enough? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, do you have an author that's most influenced your writing? Well, gosh, um, I would have to say, really, um, Daphne du Maurier. Um, hmm. If we're if we're going to talk about the classics, uh, Rebecca. I, oh, I don't really I've heard of that copy. one. <laughs> um, you should read that one. This is one where I'm going to say, don't watch the movies. Oh. <laughs> the that movies, much of a difference. <laughs> yes. Because you can never tell when they're going to decide to change. Not necessarily the ending, but one fundamental fact. Ah, in no, spoilers, no spoilers, <laughs> no spoilers. I'm, I'm working real hard here. I'm working <laughs> real hard here. But there is one fundamental fact in the book that, for example, the Hitchcock version changes. Oh. And several other versions I change it as well. And in my opinion, it rips the guts out of oh. this book. Yes, um, I. Uh, it, it, the, but the, the writing is brilliant. Speaking of openings, the you you think that it opens very slow, and you one wind up wondering why is she starting it this way? Especially in such a short book, it's a very short book. But when you get through with it, you understand that everything in that opening was really necessary. So, you know, that one is brilliant. Um, also, uh, my cousin Rachel and Jamaica Inn. Um, again, they're different from what I write, but in terms of the writing, in terms of complex female characters, um, in terms of plotting and atmosphere, just, you can't, you, you cannot beat DeMarie. So I would have to put her absolutely at the top of the list. Okay, I am gonna, this is why I love asking that question. <laughs> my, to be re, my to be read list grows 
so much. <laughs> but yeah, and and again, you know, if you're if you're talking about you know reading books that have influenced the genre, that one. Ah, uh, have you read um anything by Mary Roberts Reinhardt? She was called the American Agatha Christie. And it's no. due to her, we have the cliche, the butler did it. Really? She, I mean, yeah, she started that in a book called The Wall. Okay. But my favorite of hers is The Circular Staircase. Now that I have heard of. I, it I, has, I, I've heard of Robert Reinhardt. I've heard of The Circular Staircase. I have not read it yet. Oh, it's one of my favorite openings, but it, like the one you were talking about, seems like it's opening really slow. Because mm -hmm. the line is, this is a story of a woman who took leave of her senses, abandoned her domestic gods in the city, and took a house in the country for the summer. Loose, uh, loose paraphrase there. I'm, I'm already intrigued. All right. <laughs> okay. But it's... Ooh, good. New author. <laughs> it's one of my favorite books. I discovered it quite ironically by watching a Hallmark murder mystery, the garage <laughs> sale mysteries. <laughs> okay, all right. And the whole plot of it was this killer was using plot lines out of classic murder mysteries. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. All right. And one of them was a body found by a model of a circular staircase. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. And she and she points out, goes like, oh, Mary Robert, Mary Roberts Reinhardt, the American Agatha Christie. This was one of her classics, the circular staircase. I ended up looking up that book. I love it. Okay. I also read her stage play, The Bat, which was turned into a movie. Vincent Price is in it. <laughs> oh. Is it called The Bat? Yes. Okay, something else to look up. I love Vincent Price. <laughs> I love, you know, I mean, obviously later he uh, he really, you know, became a parody of himself, but his early movies, um, he just did some wonderful. Yes. Um, and occasionally outrageous acting. What did we just watch? <laughs> we just watched a completely over-the-top melodrama um, that was... Um, called Dragon Wick. It was, it had been a really popular gothic um, back in the day. And it was Vincent Price, and I'm forgetting the, the female actress, but my God, if you want to watch, if you like watching Vincent Price, chew the scenery. <laughs> and it and also this is a healthy, healthy serving scenery. The bat also has um, the redhead from, oh, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, set in san francisco uh he's a oh oh the guy who's convicted of murder but he's actually innocent oh brain is absolutely failing me on this title okay, not, that's not in a lonely place that's uh that's not the one with the, where where the guys had plastic surgery is it yes it's the movie where he has plastic surgery you yes, don't it, see humphrey yeah, Bogart don't see, for like half the movie <laughs> yeah um oh nuts I know the movie know. you're talking about obviously it's, oh nuts okay I'll think of it at three in the morning I'll dark text passage you. that's it that's dark it. passage yes. it has the 
the uh, redhead, the no. the one who's obsessed with orange in that movie. Okay, all right. It has her in it. Um, okay. The only way I know her is from my days <laughs> watching the old Disney Pollyanna, because she ah. plays the the snarly old grandmother in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm blanking on who that yeah. is, but okay. But she plays. <laughs> She plays the lead uh, investigator in that movie. Okay. All right. <laughs> Another one for the list. We are just not going to get away from the old movies oh, here. Absolutely um, not. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, listeners. Actually, I know you came to hear about books, but you're hearing about our favorite movies. <laughs> but like I said, Mary Roberts Reinhardt also gave us The Butler Did It. And yes, a lot of her stuff, just like all the other classic books, problematic in places, Uh but not to sound callous about this, you kind of have to get past it if you're going to read a classic. (laughs) Yes, well, you you do. Um, And there's, you know, I'm I'm also a fan of musical theater and being a feminist and a fan of American musical theater at the same time, you know, there's stuff you just got to work around. (laughs) But that's, I mean, you know, we acknowledge it. We talk about it, talk about where it comes from. Um, You know, and I think the more we look back and the more we kind of wrestle with, you know, where this stuff comes from and how it shaped us, I, I think there's benefit in that, you know, it shouldn't be ignored. Um, we shouldn't treat it like it's invisible or it doesn't matter. It does matter. Of course it Absolutely. matters. Absolutely. But, but, you know, so let's, let's look at it from all sides. Let's not be afraid to really discuss it from all the points of view and not, you know, not either dismiss its existence or dismiss the people who say, you know, that's an issue and that's where this comes from and that's what, this is what it leads to. Absolutely. So back to my questions. <laughs> this one I think will not lead to a talk about classic movies or <laughs> oh, 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 are you sure? Are you really uh, okay. sure? Listeners, you can't see it, but I'm crossing my fingers here hoping that it doesn't <laughs> so if you and your main character sat down for coffee or however your preferred mode of caffeine intake is, what kind of beverage would you drink? Well, Rosalind, um, being a lady of her uh, particular class and time, is very much a tea drinker. Although, interestingly enough, um, coffee was commonly drunk at the time because it was at the time cheaper uh, than tea. Um, <laughs> Tea did not get really cheap in England until the mid 1800s. So that's about 20 years, 20 some odd years in the future um, for Rosalind. Uh, but she is very fond of a, um, a second flush Darjeeling tea. Uh, it's a more robust tea. Um, and she particularly enjoys it uh, with a toasted crumpet. Um, <laughs> But first thing in the morning, particularly if she's expecting callers, particularly if she's expecting gentlemen, she will serve coffee. <laughs> that is 
Excellent. And you learned so much about the characters asking that question. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's funny so, because I'm, aside from my Mystic Ranch, I'm also working on a steampunk uh, mystery. Oh, cool. Which is, for those who don't know out there, Victorian science fiction. Mm -hmm. loose, loose definition of the genre. And my main character kind of runs a coffee tea shop. Mm -hmm. So I have to learn about teas that were popular back then and have to learn about things like. Yeah, the, um, the, there's a whole long, I, I dug into for a separate project, I dug into the history of how tea got to the British empire. Um, and learned that there was a direct connection. Um, it, it is it is not a uh, it is not a story that makes the Brits look real good. Um, industrial <laughs> espionage was kind of the least of it. Uh, but <laughs> that is a whole different rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> and with steampunk, I really want to include something that they have in within the uh, subculture called tea dueling. <laughs> okay, this Where I don't know. Two people sit across a table, dunk their tea biscuits for like five seconds, you know, get it good and sopping. Mm -hmm. And then the goal is to who can get a bite without it falling <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Okay, so that's what's happening at the next convention. We're going to have a tea duel. <laughs> Proper attire required. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to look up all the rules to it, but it's it's such a ridiculously fascinating thing that I, I want to include it in back. a book. Sounds great. <laughs> okay, we have hopped all over the world here. <laughs> and I can't believe we are at the, oh wait, no, we're not at the last question because how can my snoops and sleuths follow you? <laughs> yes, okay. um, I am on uh, Facebook. I am uh, Darcy Wild author on Facebook. I am at Darcy Wild author on the Instagram. And I also have a website, www.darcywildauthor.com where you can sign up for my newsletter. And you will get um, news about giveaways. You will get cover uh, revelations. You will find out what nonsense I am researching today. <laughs> um, you know, for instance, uh, uh, the uh, I am reading about the first marriage of the guy who will who is the regent during the regency and will become George IV. Because um, he was a bigamist. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. You know, again, we, we look at the, uh, the period of the Regency as staid and moral and uh, um, boring. And meantime, the guy who was running the country was secretly married. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yes. So it's a fun bunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. I have learned so much and 
It's been absolutely fascinating talking with you. Oh, it's been great talking with you. I'm always so happy to meet another old movie buff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's always fun when I can talk old movies and just random stuff with my fellow authors. It is so much fun. <laughs> oh, now we have reached the last question. What is one complaint your characters would have about you as an author? Well, I have to say that I keep dropping dead bodies into the middle of their death. <laughs> you know, here they are. They're just trying to get along, really. And, and they keep turning, and, and people around them keep turning up dead. I, I can see wanting to talk to the management after the third or fourth time. Yes. <laughs> uh, I get that. It's like, at what point, if this were real life, would you start considering yourself cursed or something? <laughs> in, in my defense, in my defense, they are in London, which is, you know, it's, it's not some small town in New England where, you know, that's when you really got to start wondering. But you know, London <laughs> yeah. at the time was also a, a fairly violent place. Um, and your life expectancy could be a little uncertain. And people do start asking her to come check into. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oops, lost, oh, okay, you're back. Yeah, we're back. <laughs> okay. But yeah, like you said, it's not a small town in, in New England. Uh, what's that line from an episode of Murder She Wrote? What, do people actually come to this town just to die? <laughs> <laughs> Poor new sheriff at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do after a while start wondering if you're far away from her or stand really, really close to her. <laughs> yeah. That way you know what she's doing. <laughs> and you also know that if you're standing close enough, you are likely not to die. If you stand far yes, enough away. <laughs> yeah. If you're cone in or out of the cone, you're probably good. <laughs> Oh, well, I have had so much fun talking with you and oh, I can't wait to read your books because they sound terrific. <laughs> Thank you. This is, this has been great. It is, I've had the best time. I'm so glad. Well, Snips and Sleuths, you've heard another great interview here on the Cozy Sleuth. I'd like to thank my patrons, Regina, Cozy Cub, Dower Bear, and Patty Paul, for their contributions in keeping the show commercial-free and growing. If you'd like to be like my patron and have your name mentioned on the air, join me on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thecozysleuth. Or join me on my coffee clutch at coffee.com slash thecozysleuth. That's ko-fi.com slash thecozysleuth. And if you'd like to hear some cozies read by live actors, Check out the Cozy Mystery Rats Maze, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, this is Leanna Shields saying, keep cozy.